Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This can be found on page 1,595 in your pew Bibles. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to, the, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up, they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, it's, it's important that we have an accurate picture <clears throat> of who we are. We are bodily creatures, not creatures in a body, not minds and spirits with a body. We are bodily creatures, flesh and blood. We are human beings. And as human beings, we learn things such as never go to the grocery store shopping on an empty stomach. Why? Because if your stomach is growling, you're not just picking things off the shelves that are on your grocery list, but you're grabbing chips and cookies and rich dips for your veggies and maybe some red meat or some pizza rolls and a little ice cream to top it all off. Your empty stomach seems to override all of your self-discipline as you wrote out that nice list, and it completely annihilates your weekly food budget in the process. And so you learn, right? You learn to do your grocery shopping after you eat instead of before you eat. These are the things that we as human beings have to accept and have to learn. We are human. Did you catch what Luke writes just at the end of verse 2 in our text? Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. 
Now, that seems just like a a little introduction or maybe a nice preface to the real story that's going to take place in just a few minutes. But Luke tells us that for a reason. Jesus was hungry. And I want to give Scott Jose some credit here for pointing me this direction. Scott's a wonderful preacher at Calvin Seminary. Um, But there's a reason why Luke writes that little phrase, Jesus was hungry. And I think it's about more than just sort of queuing up the fact that the first temptation is going to have to do with food. In fact, I think it has something to do not just with the first temptation, but possibly all three temptations, and maybe even more than that, for Jesus' entire life here on the earth. You think Luke might just be emphasizing for us the fact that Jesus is human. Not to steal Rick Britton's thunder and adult Ed, but Luke really isn't shy about making this point that Jesus was human, right? Luke tells us right at the beginning, Jesus was born of Mary. He was born of a human being. In other words, if you would have put one of those ultrasound scanners on Mary's tummy, Joseph would have looked just as confused at the pictures as every father has since. Who can read those things, ultrasounds? I know some people actually send them out on their birth announcements, right? It's like, you might as well send me hieroglyphics. I have no idea what it is I'm looking at. I get the picture. There's a baby coming. Luke, he's human. Luke must have been around this Christmas as we were singing our Christmas songs, right? Away in a manger, you know the famous line by now, no crying he makes. Luke just kind of chuckles. He tells us at the end of chapter 2, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He cried. He cried. But if you don't get it from Luke 2, then Luke 3 gives us Jesus' full genealogy. And, And if you compare Luke to Matthew... Luke doesn't trace Jesus back to, you know, the famous Israelite figures of King David and Abraham, the first covenant partner of God. No, Luke begins with Jesus and he traces Jesus' roots back through 77 generations all the way to whom? To Adam. Jesus was a son of Adam who was the son of God. Small s, not capital S. Small s. Jesus was the son of Adam. In other words, here we have Jesus standing in the place that Adam one day stood. Adam, too, was tempted by the devil, and now the son of Adam is about to be tempted by the devil as well. He stands in our place. He stands as our representative. Jesus was human. Jesus was hungry. Now, As I said, Luke tells us this in verse 2. But by this time, we've pretty much already turned the channel on Luke because of what he already told us in verse 1. And that was that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Matters settled. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a, well, duh statement, right? I mean, Jesus was the Son of God. So Jesus was was God. Of course Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Of course Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, right? He was part of the Trinity. 
So maybe, maybe John or Luke here is commenting on, on the fact that this is Jesus in his divinity now, right? We've already thought about his humanity, but Luke wants to stress the divinity of Jesus. And that sort of impacts how we're going to read this entire account, the story that we just heard Wally and David read. I mean, if we start there that Jesus was God, then it seems like the end of the story is already written. It's, it's really not in doubt. Yes, we have to go through it. I mean, Jesus had to be tempted, right? So that we can say that Jesus went through the very same kinds of things that we do. But really, the end isn't in doubt. Why not? Because Jesus was God, and there's no way that God could ever give in to temptation. As, as Rick is teaching us in his class, these are the very kinds of questions that the church had to grapple with through the first four or five hundred years of our history. These questions of how do the human nature and the divine nature of Jesus, how do they correspond? How are they connected? How, how, do, they, how do you fit these things two together? And, and, of course, there were those who felt that, you know, if push came to shove, then then the divine nature of Jesus is always going to sort of overwhelm or maybe compensate for the, the human nature of, of Christ. It, it's kind of like that, that, like this. People tended to think of Jesus more like we think of, of Thor today, right? Think of the, the Marvel comics, Thor, the, the Avenger. Okay, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of, the, one of the Avengers, one of the protectors of the universe, one of the superheroes that have filled our, our movie screens for the last 10 years or so, right? The thing about Thor is he's a little different from all of the other superheroes. He's not just a human being with issues, he's actually a god, a god with issues, but he's a god, okay? He's the god of thunder, the God of thunder. And so he's really not human. He just appears to be human. He looks like a human. In fact, he looks so much like a human that he possibly even fools himself from time to time. And so there's a scene in one of the films. I've talked to the, the bridge group about this already, but there's a scene in one of the films in which, in which Thor falls in love with a human. Jane Foster, I think her name is. And, you know, they sort of get together and, and, and she gets sick or something like that at one point. And so Thor brings her up to his, his home, Asgard, um, which is, I guess, the home of the gods. And he thinks that maybe they can do something to heal her. So he's in love with this woman. They want to get married. He seems to have forgotten that he's a god, she's a human. This has not escaped his father, however. And he not so suddenly, subtly reminds his son, Jane Foster is a mortal. And then he says this, <clears throat> She doesn't belong here in Asgard any more than a goat belongs at a banquet table. And he gets it, right? What he's saying is humans and gods, they're not made of the same stuff. They're in different categories. They're different types of beings. You can't mix the two. And he's saying, don't forget who you are, okay? But that's exactly what people thought about Jesus, they thought, yeah, Jesus may look like a human. He may appear to be human, but, but he's really not. Jesus really is 
a god. And therefore, you know, he's, he's stronger than steel and he's faster than a speeding bullet. And also, he's really not susceptible to sin. There's no kryptonite for Jesus. Okay, that's what people thought. Why? Because Jesus really is a god. He's a god. He's not a human. And so, really, he's never going to sin. Um, think of a table saw. Okay? I remember helping my dad when he would be working on the table saw. And every time he would pull out this old saw from Sears, a craftsman, um, he would have to remind me, if you don't pay attention so quickly, as quickly as that, this thing will take a finger off. This thing could take more than one finger off. Now, my dad never foresaw the day of modern uh, table saws. You can actually get table saws today with sensors all rigged up so that if your finger gets too close to the blade, the thing will automatically lock up. The blade will stop spinning. There's no way it's going to cut your finger. No way you're going to spill blood. And again, that's kind of what people thought about Jesus, right? Jesus is God. And so if he really ever would get too close to sin, if, if that might even become a possibility that Jesus might sin, his divine nature is going to kick in and lock things up so that it'll never happen. Jesus will never sin. Jesus is, is God. And this is the kind of stuff that the early church used to talk about, right? Right? And, and we're grateful for the early church and the, the councils that met and prayed and talked about all of these things. And, and, and what they determined or what they were convinced of was, look, Jesus has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. They're united in one person. They are united, but they are not mixed. And they are not confused. Okay? One nature will not influence or change or alter the other nature. And so, his human nature, for instance, did not make him less divine. And his divine nature did not make him less human. His divinity was not in any way watered down. And his humanity in no way was, was supercharged or superheroed, you might say. And what that means is that if Jesus was able to resist temptation, he had to do it not by sort of setting his human nature aside and letting his divine nature come out. If Jesus was to, to resist temptation, if he was truly to be our representative, then he had to resist temptation as a human being. If he was going to represent us not just here on earth, but hanging on the cross then he had to resist evil as a human being, not as a god. That kind of changes the way you look at this text. In other words, Jesus had to face the devil using only the resources, the same resources that are available to you and to me as human beings. And so, perhaps in this text, perhaps what the devil is trying to achieve here is to tempt Jesus to sort of put his humanity aside for a time and to face the devil as the Son of God, not 
son, small s, but to face him as the son of God, capital S. You see, if the devil could draw Jesus out of his humanity and into his divinity, then the writer to the Hebrews could never write, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. It could have never been written. The devil was successful here. So Jesus had to face the devil as a human. So let's just look at these temptations for a moment from from that perspective. Again, Luke has just informed us that Jesus is the son of Adam, the son of God, all small s's. If you look at these temptations twice, in the first temptation and in the last one, the devil refers to Jesus specifically as the Son of God, capital S, capital S. And he's recalling the baptism of Jesus we looked at last week where the the Father said, you are my beloved Son. And it's as if the devil is just taunting Jesus, just tempting him, look, just step out of your humanity, take the title, live that title alone, Son of God, capital S. Let your divinity shine through. For instance, turn this stone into bread. Quit being so human for a moment. Just let yourself be God. Just let yourself be God. Life will be a little easier, okay? And there's probably some of this idea there as well. As I said, God just called Jesus his beloved son. Well, if that's true, certainly God wouldn't want his beloved son to go hungry, right? He's not going to want his beloved son to have to go through any of those trials and troubles of life. Maybe his other sons, maybe his ordinary sons, but not you. You're unique. You're special. You're the son with the capital S. You've got to learn to play that card once in a while. Don't we struggle with that same temptation? That idea that, that we're the special child? I mean, I gave my life to missions. Or I gave my life fighting justice for you, God. I gave my life raising seven children, and I lost myself in the process for them. And I know because of that, I'm special in your sight. And so, you wouldn't let me come down with cancer, would you? I mean, maybe one of your other children, but not me. The third temptation is very much the same. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself from the temple. God's promised He'll take care of you. He will not let you strike your foot against a stone. The words of Psalm 91. Now, Now, Psalm 91 is, it's just a hard psalm for any of us to understand. It seems to promise God's protection and care in all circumstances unconditionally. 
No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. But what happens when harm does befall us? And disaster does come near our tent. Well, then we begin to ask all sorts of questions, don't we? And doubts flood our minds. Was God insincere? Is God too weak and incapable of defending us? Or, or maybe I've done something wrong that's caused God to turn his back on me. All those questions. What's the point? Well, the devil says, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, capital S, the Son of God should never have to wonder about such things. The Son of God should never have to doubt that the Father really is there protecting you. Why would you submit yourself to something like that? And it's the same with the middle temptation. The devil says, all the splendor and authority of the world, all this is mine, and I can give it to anyone I choose. How about you? Who do you think might be most offended by those words? Maybe the Son of God, capital S? Maybe the second person of the Trinity? The one who knows without a doubt that that's a lie? Knows without a doubt who really is in charge? It's kind of like Young Kwong's prayer. Who really is in control? The Son of God knew that. So why not, Jesus, why not just stand up and defend God's honor and tell the devil off? Tell him to go back to hell where he came from. He's a liar. He always has been. He always will be. Why, why let another child murder shake you? Why get distressed when you see the chaos of the world eating its way into your own home and your own family and there's nothing you can do about it? Why begin to wonder, is he really in control? Why would you put yourself in that position, Jesus? Position of, of choking out the words with your, your fellow human beings. I trust him so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. I trust him so much that I do not doubt. Of course, if you have to confess those words and write them down, it just goes to show there's some doubt somewhere. Why would you do that to yourself, Jesus? Jesus, step out of your humanity. Set the record straight. There's no need for you to immerse yourself completely in being human. And yet there was a need, wasn't there? 
And Jesus did it. Jesus became fully human. And the exclamation point to his humanity comes in the very last verse we read this morning. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, he really wasn't finished, was he? Why? Why wasn't he finished? Why didn't he just go home? Never come back? Because Jesus was human. And because Jesus was human, Jesus was vulnerable, just like the rest of us. And so the story wasn't over. It didn't end there. The devil came back again and again and again throughout Jesus' entire life to try one more time, relentlessly to try again, always on the prowl, waiting for that opportunity, just like he does with you and me. Never gives it a rest. We're never safe. But here lies our hope. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was human. He was one of us. And he never gave in to temptation. Never. He went all the way to the cross, all the way through the cross, and he never gave in. Never gave in. Now why is that good news? Well, part of it's because his perfect life all the way through the cross, was imputed to you and to me when we put our faith in Him. His perfect life becomes our perfect life. That's part of the good news. But there's more. There's more. If Jesus got hungry, just like the rest of us, then perhaps Jesus resisted temptation by drawing on the very same resources that are available to you and to me. God's Word and His Spirit. Jesus resisted temptation by drawing on the very same resources that you and I can draw upon. All of us, each and every one of us who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit available to us as well. We also can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can help us in that struggle against temptation. It can help us. You see, being full of the Holy Spirit, Luke wasn't saying this is something unique to the second person of the Trinity. He was not saying that. What he was saying is that Jesus, in his humanity, was full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he relied on God. He was humble enough not to try to live in his own strength, but he relied upon his God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you and like I can be. That's how he resisted temptation his entire life. And that's how we can resist temptation as well. 
Jesus was tempted his entire life. And therefore, he knows, he knows how much it takes. He knows how relentless the devil can be. He knows that he never gives up. The Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Jesus. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have the Spirit of Jesus who knows exactly what we are going through. And Jesus says he's enough. He is enough for you and for me. I watched um, uh, one of the January series speakers this week. His name was Max Stossel. And uh, he talked about the true impact of, of social media. His talk was called, We've Been Sneaking Into Your Brain. We've Been Sneaking Into Your Brain. Max is one of those guys who writes the algorithms behind um, the different social media platforms. And he talked about how people like him who write these algorithms um, that fill our, our social media platforms, how they've learned to manipulate us um, to get from us the responses that they desire, okay? And the responses that they desire are simply for us to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. For instance, he, was, uh, he gave the example, uh, showed a little video of him speaking to a crowd mostly of high schoolers and their parents, people like that. And, and he asked the question, how many of them use Snapchat? And all of them raised their hands, Okay. Um, and then he said, well, how many of you have snap streaks that are going? And again, almost all of them raised their hands. Then he said, all right, how many of you like streaks or snap streaks? And all the hands went down. Nobody liked them. And he looked at that and he said, now, isn't that interesting? Just think about that a moment. None of us like streaks, but we all have them. Now, for those of you who don't know what a snap streak is, and that was me um, about 48 hours ago, um, but I've done a little research into it. Any kid could tell you what a snap streak is. But on, snaps, on Snapchat, you start a chat with a friend of yours, okay? And you snap them a, a picture. You send them a snap or a picture. And if you do this within 24 hours, three days in a row, you start a streak. And then you get a little number behind your conversation. And it looks really cool. Um, and then if you keep that streak going, it'll go as long as you keep responding to your friend, right? As long as you keep that conversation going within 24 hours, you're going to keep snapping a picture and sending it to them. Now, what I get the idea is people get tired of this, right? You get sick of sending pictures, especially if you got more than one conversation going at one time, but you also feel kind of bad. You feel pressure because, well, I like this person and I don't want them to get the impression that I don't, and I don't want anyone else to get the impression that I really don't like this person, and so I'm going to keep the streak going. And so people will take pictures of the wall or the floor and just send them out to keep the streak going. Do you like doing this? No. Do you do this? Yes. Now, those were new to me. I'd never heard of them before, but stories like that just depress me. They depress me because they remind me of how human I really am. That some guy who, you know, looks like a nerd and he's got the little 
face hair and he works in California somewhere and he writes algorithms and he can pretty much control the fact that I just keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And it depresses me to think how manipulative or how manipulated I can be and how vulnerable I am to that sort of thing. And it makes me wonder, is there any hope? Is there really any hope for us? Is there any hope to resist? Is there any hope to be something more than this? Is there any hope to be secure enough in myself and in my relationships that I don't have to keep responding and keep responding and keep responding? Is there any hope that I can be something more than someone manipulated by an app? And then I read the good news that Jesus was hungry. That Jesus was as vulnerable to algorithms as the rest of us are. And Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he didn't need to be superhuman to overcome. He didn't need to be superhuman to end the streak. He just needed to be humble enough to lean on God, to ask for his help. And God answered, and he filled him with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus lived the life that Adam was meant to live in the beginning and that you and I are meant to live now. He did it for us. And friends, you and I will never be more than human. We will never be superhuman. But we can be more fully human if we ask Jesus to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we may rise up and overcome all of the temptations of the evil one. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Make your word real to us, that we may stand on its truths, and when we doubt, and when we falter, and when we wonder, fill us more with your spirit. The devil may never overcome us. And when we fall, Lord, as is inevitable, let us remember again that you made it all the way in our stead. And therefore, you will not hesitate to give us your spirit and to fill us more so that next time, the victory might be ours and might be yours to the glory of God 
your Father and our Father. Amen.